What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jace for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He is not Josh. Well, he is Josh. He's just not here. He's not here. Um, Josh had to work. He's putting work in. So that's what happened. Um, Josh is not here for this podcast, but he will be back very soon. Do not worry. On the pod today, it's the final conference-specific preview of uh, our preseason buildup to the college basketball season. We've done SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, excuse me, Big 10, Big East. We've done it all, both Josh and I previewing and having conversations with those who cover the conference even more closely than we do. On today's pod is Jordan Gusky. Jordan is the Kansas Athletics beat writer for the Topeka Capital Journal in Lawrence. He covers all Kansas sports, but of course, under that umbrella is Bill Self's Jayhawks, led by Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, KJ Adams. It's it's a loaded roster, and we had him on to talk Kansas as well as the rest of the Big Twelve. We get into all of it: the newcomers, Houston national title contenders, uh, the depth of this conference, and just uh, everything about the the uh, the epitome of a college basketball conference the last uh, the last decade or so. So without further ado, let's go chat with Jordan about Kansas and the rest of the Big 12. Joining me now from the Topeka Capital Journal covering all of Kansas athletics, but that under that umbrella falls the Kansas Benz basketball program, Jordan Gusky at Jordan Gusky on Twitter. Jordan, thanks so much for taking the time this morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, eventful last four weeks or so in uh, in your neck of the woods in, in Lawrence. Four weeks ago, we have Artero Morris dismissed from the program after the legal trouble that he has been in two weeks ago, Kansas avoids major consequences uh, after the IARP investigation. And then a week ago on a completely different note, uh, Kansas kind of the runaway pick for the number one team in the preseason AP poll. So eventful four weeks or so uh, in Lawrence for a program across all ends of the spectrum. What's the, What's the the vibe in in Lawrence around the program right now? Is there some of some lingering stuff from from what's happened the last few weeks, or are we very much this could be a special team, number one AP preseason, and uh, we're just ready to get the season going? Yeah, I think as things get closer to the season opener, and especially with a couple exhibitions coming up in the next week, I think the the trajectory of positivity is, is still going up. Like you mentioned with the preseason number one. Preseason Big 12 favorite, you know, they got three different preseason All-Big 12 guys and Hunter, Kevin, and and Juan. So, yeah, there definitely been some negative stuff that's happened. Uh, even though, they, like you mentioned, they avoided major penalties, it's still not a, a great <laughs> a great thing if you're getting penalized um, for different things. Um, but they definitely, like you said, got out of it um, without really major, major stuff going on. But I think the positivity is, is really trending on an upward uh, sort of slope here. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to stop really anytime soon. Yeah, lots of reasons on on the basketball court to be to be excited. Um, the, the the preseason accolades are there pretty much everywhere you look, as you mentioned. And on paper, it's a team that that is really that is really 
special and it has some some names that really jump off the page um real quick before we kind of get into the rest of that i, I kind of connected to to uh, Arturo Morris's dismissal i think right of course we all have have read and seen the the reasons for it and his legal trouble but on on the basketball court i think it's you know it, it, that that was a guy that was going to be a part of the backcourt depth for Bill Self's team this year, right? Not doesn't jump off the page from what he did last year at Texas, playing only 11 minutes a game. But that is a, a former five-star guy, a former really highly ranked recruit. Um, what do you think is the is is the on-court trickle-down effect from him leaving the program? Whether it's it's guys, you know, that a change in rotation in that backcourt, or guys that you think might have more pressure on them to to contribute and be productive early on without uh, without another another guy in that group that's already played college basketball. Yeah, I think the guy that it had the the biggest effect on was Jamari McDowell, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, I think he was someone who, when people are talking about possible red shirts over the course of the offseason, he was someone, along with Zach Clements, who you were like, well, maybe this would be a guy um, who they might redshirt. But now with Arterio no longer with the team for the reasons you alluded to, I think Jamari's going to have to step up a, a lot faster because I think El Marco is always going to be relied on for some sort of role. I mean, he's someone who people are talking about as a possible draft pick already, and he hasn't played in the game yet. Um, Nick Timberlake's a, a sharp shooter, um, so he was going to play, you know, regardless of if Arterio was here or not. But now Jamari's going to have to really help with those minutes so that there's that depth on the perimeter um, that was definitely impacted uh, with Arterio's dismissal. What is what is self talked about when it comes to to El Marco. He's kind of the 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 headline of that recruiting class at this point. And when you look at a lot of lineup projections and start to kind of look at what the starting five might look like on opening night for Kansas, a lot of them, you know, there's some Nick Timberlake in there, but there's also a lot of El Marco um starting in the backcourt with with Dewan Harris. Well how is he how is Bill Self talked about about that freshman kind of heading into the season. Yeah, I think, you know, even yesterday during Kansas Media Day, Bill talked about him as, as sort of him reaching his potential is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing for this group as it tries to reach the heights that it's going to try to reach this season. You know, you mentioned Timberlake. I don't, maybe Timberlake starts early on just because he's more of a veteran, experienced guy at the college level, and then they work on Marco to becoming a starter eventually. But I think Whoever was on this team, I think eventually on Marco was probably going to be a guy that was starting or at least playing starter minutes. Um, so that doesn't change, but I think it's even more heightened now. Uh, and Bill is definitely talking about him as someone who's going to have a major, major role for this team, uh, maybe akin to what Grady was um, a year ago, but obviously different um, types of players. So you bring in, the, right, the big one is is Hunter Dickinson. There's this this long, drawn-out competition for for his services in recruiting one that ultimately ends up with him with him and Lawrence he said at at Big 12 Media Day that it was that it's the best offensive so, you know along the lines of the one of the, the most talented offensive big men he's ever he's ever coached and had in the program i'm curious you know he's he's dominant in the way that McCormack was late in his career the way that Azubuki was late in his career but i think it's going to look different he's just got a more advanced offensive skill set than than those guys do at least in my opinion 
how do you do you think it's going to look different than the way you've seen self use big men in the past right his his best his best teams have had really high level big men traditionally uh but i feel like it it could look different since hunter's skill set is is probably a little bit more advanced on the offensive end yeah i think the themes will probably be pretty similar uh like you alluded to just you know playing through a big man especially like they were able to with mccormick on that run to national championships i think the themes will be similar but i think also like you mentioned there's just a skill set that hunter brings especially with his ability to step out and hit threes um that kansas hasn't had you know at least in the in the recent past um under bill self so yeah i think the themes will be similar in terms of what bill wants to do in terms of how he's going to play with juan uh, in that team but yeah i think because like you said hunter's offensive skill set's going to look a little different do you think and, and josh and i've had conversations about about the trajectory of Michigan's teams as Hunter's role got bigger and his voice in the locker room got got louder just from the perspective of he's been there longer, he's a veteran voice rather than kind of being, you know, a really talented freshman on a Michigan team that has guys like Isaiah Livers and, and, and those type of players. Um do you think do you think he'll feel like one of the like primary leaders of this team, or do you think that will more fall on the shoulders of guys like Dewan Harris, Kevin McCullough Jr., guys that have been in this program for longer? Yeah, I think Juan and and Kevin and KJ to an extent can definitely um, be those you know front guys since they're three main returners. You know, Juan and KJ both have national championships under their various one national championship each under their belt, uh, and Kevin's a long-standing member of the Big Twelve. So I, I think. With those three there, he doesn't need to push it. He can let that just come naturally. But I think given his just status as an All-American basketball player and being a senior and being you know 7'2 senior, I think there's going to be some leadership that comes his way, um, whether he sort of goes for it or not. But I think it can definitely come naturally. And there doesn't need to be any hunter trying to force um, establishing himself. I think with his play and with the other three guys, like I mentioned, that can just come naturally. I'm curious what you think about the, you know, there won't be very many minutes where Hunter's not on the floor and there certainly won't there. And even more so there won't be very many minutes where at least him or, or KJ Adams aren't on the floor. When you look at their, the, the reserves in the front court, whether it's Parker Braun, Zach Clements is, who do you think is the, is the guy to, to kind of soak up, some minutes when Hunter's not on the floor, foul trouble, or are you concerned about front court depth uh, in any way out uh, after those two guys in the starting lineup? So I think the, the plan right now is that they're going to redshirt Zach Clements. That's, that's their plan right now within the program mm-hmm. after he came back from almost transferring um, out West. So the, so I guess the guy that they're looking to, to be Hunter's backup would be Parker uh, Brown, who's um, Christian Brown's brother who won a national championship a couple years ago. So, I think that's who they're looking for. Whether it happens, we'll see. But they definitely have KJ as an option um, as a backup five-man if they want to go back to what they were playing last year and obviously excuse me, winning a Big 12 title uh, in the regular season. That was a pretty successful run that they had with KJ in there. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's uh, let's take a look at the rest of of this conference here. You know, it's it's a trans. It's a the beginning of what's going to be a transformative couple of years for the Big 12, right? We have this this conference that this year is stacked with both 
the programs that are on their way out of the Big 12 and the teams that are entering the Big 12. So it's a it's a conference that looks much more like the SEC from a there are 14 teams rather than the my beloved double round robin true home and home conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Um the headline of that of course is is Houston, the only other team in this conference that's top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency preseason uh, at Kempom. What are you expecting from from Houston in your one on on the surface it's it's a, a roster that looks very big 12. It's a roster that that looks like it's going to compete uh for possibly a big 12 regular season title. Uh what what are you expecting from a Houston team that is obviously not like most quote unquote mid majors that that enter a, a power conference ranking. Yeah, I think I think like any team, like I think even you're seeing it in football where some of these new schools are sort of taking their lumps as they go through their first conference season. I think Houston, like like any new team, I think there are going to be some moments in there where they probably take some lumps in, in Big Twelve play. But I think, like you mentioned, with the roster they have, you know, bringing in L.J. Cryer from Baylor. I think it's still going to be a team that by the end of the season, uh, you're going to see competing for the Big 12 title. I think they're a team that should be able to do that and a team that could go on a Final Four run, uh, much like Kansas or, or Baylor or Texas could uh, this year as well. So, you know, maybe some lumps here and there, but I mean, every team in the Big 12 takes their lumps at different points, as you've seen with Kansas the last couple of years, and they still won the Big 12. So it's, it's not going to take them out of it. It's just a matter of if they can, and I'm pretty sure that they will be able to, you know, take those lumps and move forward. You mentioned LJ Cryer. I think it's I think it's really interesting. You know, last year, new to new to Houston, old to the Big Twelve, right? Coming from coming from Baylor, fifteen points a game last year, forty one percent from the three point line, and that's in a system that also featured a guy like Keontae George and and other players that were that demanded the ball seems too aggressive, but certainly shared the the scoring role with other guys there. It feels like the the natural progression here is he's headed to Houston and with Marcus Sasser, you know, leaving for the NBA, that he kind of slides in there in the backcourt along with Jamal Shedd. But as a um, as what will probably be like the the one A, if not the clear number one option for Calvin Sampson in that offense, what do you think about even a even a bigger step? forward for LJ Criers. He's kind of the obvious first option for for a team, arguably for the first time in his career. Yeah, I think this is in a lot of ways about you know setting himself up for another run at, at trying at the NBA. Um I think much like you saw with Kevin transferring to Kansas to sort of change what his role, you know, what he's showing. That was part of what Kevin's um sort of plan of transferring to Kansas was. Uh, now he's back for another year. I I didn't follow LJ's recruitment all that closely, but it seems like that's a, an opportunity that he has at Houston to maybe evolve into a new role, a new coaching staff, um, and then advance in, in a lot of ways. Like you said, probably is the main option um, at, at there in Houston for a team that could potentially win a, a national championship. So I think just evolving his role is definitely possible and probably what he envisioned um, when he transferred to Houston. So on that list of of incoming teams you also have programs like BYU Cincinnati UCF kind of filling the spectrum of programs in in pretty solid positions and programs on the basketball front that are kind of in in a rebuild mode what's and you can go specific on the teams here if you if you'd like but 
do you what do you think the impact of this this bigger conference will be do you do you think it's going to feel a little more like a conference that you know the, the thing about the big 12 that's so attractive is you know top to bottom one through 10 most years a lot of years it was there were 10 teams that you could lose to especially in their building right or nine teams i suppose um do you think there will be that we'll start to see uh, maybe just like those those bottom two teams that are you know they have a four and 16 type record just because those teams kind of find a way to the bottom in a conference this big or do you think we'll still see lots of really good teams kind of top to bottom yeah i think think that kind of year is going to be more common you know almost certainly just you know maybe some of these news teams do it maybe some of the teams that are you know were a part of it altogether just has some down years so i think it's more possible that'll happen but i still think maybe ucf has maybe the toughest road on paper to being competitive in the big 12 right now but seems like everyone still has a home environment that's going to be tough to play in any night. Um, and then especially if you give UC, BYU, uh, and, and UCF time to continue to develop, you know, even when Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12, you're going to bring in some great basketball schools um, that were formerly in the Pac-12. So I think it'll still keep um, that energy of one through whatever, you know, being, you know, night in, night out. You know, if you're going on the road, it's going to be a tough out. Um, but I definitely think it's just, I guess it's just math. It's going to be more common that some of those tough seasons are going to happen. Uh, some teams are going to have down years, but I think still overall, it's still going to be the best basketball conference, uh, at least by the metrics and everything um, in the country, for sure. I think for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, first Kempom preseason conference rankings, Big 12 is still right there, like it always is, first in, first in those preseason rankings. I think you're right. It's 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 not like, you know, maybe on the football side of things, it's a little bit different losing programs like Texas and Oklahoma. But, you know, when you bring a team like Houston in, I mean, Houston's been more successful over the last 10 years than, than both Texas and Oklahoma. So I think, I think that we're not in danger of losing the big 12 as kind of the, the, um, the epitome of a college basketball conference and just kind of beating up on each other and, and having really great teams top to bottom. Elsewhere in in the conference, right? We talked about Houston a little bit. Some of those other teams that seem like they're going to factor in into into the top half of this conference, uh, teams like Baylor, teams like Texas. Let's let's hop into Baylor here for for just a second here. Lots of lots of mid major production is going to be leaned on, especially in the backcourt for for Baylor and Scott Drew this year, right? You bring in. After losing guys like Adam Flagler, we talked about LJ Cryer, Keontae George. That's a lot of, I mean, that's like 45 points a game <laughs> between those three guys. They were all in the 15 points per game kind of area. You bring in a guy like Ray J. Dennis, you bring in a guy like Jaden Dunn, excuse me, Jaden Dunn. Um, do you think that, that Baylor, assuming that those guys kind of translate, do you think Baylor has the ability, the ceiling to to compete with the Houstons and Kansas of the world, or do you have them kind of in a in a tier below those two teams? I guess I would say if if there are tiers, I would put like Kansas's Kansas and Houston maybe in the top and then Baylor and Texas right below, but it would be mm-hmm. like it'd be like such a small like margin, sure. I think. I think, you know, Baylor Scott Drew has shown just how competitive they can be year to year. And I don't think that's going anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, when you're having, when you're taking guys who are going up from mid-major to high-major, there's some, some risk in there to see if they can continue that production um, at a more consistent rate in tougher competition. But, yeah, I have no doubts that Baylor, um, with the guys they brought in from the transfer portal, freshmen, everything, that they can be, you know, a contender in the Big 12 or if they don't win the Big 12 regular season, a team that when the Big 12 tournament comes around uh, is going to be just as capable as anyone um, is beating you uh, in Kansas City. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it's, I think there'll be maybe a little bit of a flip, you know, the last, you know, four or five years for Baylor. It feels like the conversation starts with, with the backcourt, whether it's, you know, you're going back to the national championship team and guys like Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and guys like that. Um, and then last year it was, you know, the names that I mentioned, Flagler, George and Cryer, the, 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 the the continuity in the program this year is is in that front court, right? With guys like Jalen Bridges, who's been there before, Jonathan Chamo Chachua, who had a tumultuous tumultuous year last year, starting with injury and never never really felt like he was he was back in the way that he had been in years prior. And hopefully, hopefully, we get a little bit of that, a little bit of that this year. But I feel like that Baylor might have a little bit of a different feel just because of where where that that kind of veteran presence might be leaned on this year. I think it's interesting that when you look at the top of this conference, you know, you have a Kansas team that of course has, you know, you have your Dewan Harris kind of leading the way as I mean it's hard to find a more solid guard in the country than than Dewan. And then at Houston you have a guy in LJ Cryer and a guy in Jamal Shedd who is technically coming into a high major conference for the first time, but Jamal Shedd, no one's, no one's worried about Jamal Shedd being able to handle the big 12. Then those next, you know, two or three teams, depending on how you feel about Kansas state, kind of leaning on, on some mid major guards and, and guards that can score the basketball a lot kind of coming into, into the fold, into the big 12 and at Kansas state, it's Tyler Perry coming over from North Texas at, at Texas. Of course it's Max Asmus. And then we just talked about, about the backcourt here at Baylor. Do you think that there's a chance that the hierarchy of the big 12 just kind of comes down to the fact that two of those teams have big 12 level proven guards and those other three don't could it could it possibly just be that simple at the end of the day yeah i guess but i think i would also given just the the caliber that you know these mid-major guards um who are coming into the big 12 new have seemed to sort of gather just from the sort of the scouting just world how Mm -hmm. highly some of these guys are regarded uh i would say that i'd still give them a shot to see you know if that develops over time so I, i it could end up being that simple like just like how it seems now that just the most experienced teams are the teams that are, you know, going to be successful in the end comparatively if you just have a, a ton of younger new guys. Mm-hmm. As I said, it's just sort of what it seems to be the narrative now in college basketball. But I, I think given how well the people who are revered in scouting have considered these newcomers to be, I think I'd, I'd give them a shot. And then if they don't get it, then they don't get it. But, you know, I, I seem to have faith, uh, faith in them for now, at least. Yeah, they're definitely not... They're not your your typical. They're not normal mid major guard transfers, right? I mean, Ace Smith has been doing it for ever. I mean, we go back to the COVID year and him and that Oral Roberts team doing what they did to Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. I I 
on that Texas front, you're, I guess you're one and a half for Rodney Terry, but you're one of, this is your program. This is a team that you put together in the off season. Um, what do you make of your, uh, of the first full year of Rodney Terry? Do you think, and do you attribute a lot of the, you know, the, the, Texas had a really solid and strong into, into the season. Do you think that was a lot of Rodney Terry or kind of Rodney just being able to guide a ship that Chris Beard had built before, before he left the program? How do you feel about Texas heading into the season? Yeah, no, I still think um, that they're a team that can contend for the Big 12 right there with Baylor um, if things go quickly. You know, I think it, it says a lot about what Rodney and that team were able to do, that they could stick together and not fold uh, when something as you know tumultuous as, as what happened there happened, uh, on, I guess, really a couple different fronts. Um, but I still th- – so, yeah, I think maybe there's some aspect of that run that's – you know, they were bonding together, you know, them against the world kind of mentality to, to go on that run to the Elite Eight, win a Big 12 tournament really come close to winning the Big 12 regular season. If that season had gone on for much longer, maybe they would have been able to catch Kansas. But, um, yeah, I still think I'm pretty high on them. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that backcourt develops, um, see how Tyrese Hunter, I think I got that right, yeah, Tyrese Hunter does mm-hmm. um, in year two after transferring from Iowa State. Um, but if they can gel, like, the way that Rodney Terry seemed to get him to um, when he took over, then I think they're definitely capable of, of winning night in, night out. Uh, really anywhere they play. Yeah, I think the the most impressive part of as you as you mentioned was it would have been easy for them to kind of pitter out to fall apart to a certain extent, but it it almost felt like there was some it felt like they got stronger as that year progressed after after Terry took over and I think if if nothing else that's that's a testament to the to the leadership and and being able to bring a group of guys together, which which is arguably the best quality that a college basketball coach can have nowadays. With how how much roster, with how much roster turnover there is, um, moving moving to the conference, kind of as kind of as a whole, some some overarching stuff. We talked a little bit about it uh, earlier, but do you think? You know, this is always a conference that, you know, 10 teams, you could get seven in the tournament. And it's not outlandish to suggest that all 10 have a, like a chance, like the, that it could shake out in some way that all 10 have the chance. Do you think the, the, the NCAA tournament depth is there this year? We've talked a lot about the, the, the top of the conference, but you can go pretty deep here into into the middle of it and get to teams like, you know, TCU, Iowa State, BYU, even Texas Tech. That's um, that on paper can can have a shot to make the NCAA tournament. Do you think that depth will continue this year? Yeah, I think that depth will still be there. I think they'll still be able to get the same about number of teams that they've been getting in recent years into the tournament. I think they have enough talent uh, in this league, um, even with all really the seeming roster turnover that's happened in a lot of different places. There's the talent where they can keep that going. Just the graphics at the end are going to be a little different. The percentage sure. aren't going to be as high. Sure. Um, and so the Big 12, I'm sure, will be just fine with that if they can just use the number of teams in the tournament. So, yeah, it just the percentage will go down, but I don't see any reason why the sort of numbers-wise that they've been doing over the years, I don't see why that um, would have to change. And it might even help out uh, in some ways having you know more teams, uh, maybe some of the schedules work out so some teams aren't tested as much as they would be in the double-round robin 
uh, formats and some teams can have some years maybe they wouldn't otherwise. But, you know, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Is there any team that that you think has the potential to su- to surprise some people, uh, whether that's kind of being in the upper half without with the, when people aren't expecting that or or even pushing kind of being in in position to be in position to win to win a, a conference regular season once we get to you know late January that kind of thing yeah I think Texas Tech is a, a team that I'm watching pretty closely just you know Grant and Kaslin had a lot of success at North Texas um, I believe actually when Kansas played in the ESPN events invitational in Florida a couple years ago I think North Texas was there um, so I'm pretty sure I saw them in person when Grant was still there and I was impressed by what they were doing a couple years ago. So I think Texas Tech, even with all the roster reconstruction they've been doing, is still a team that's gonna that can be pretty dangerous if Grant has this can you know the success he had at North Texas if he can kick those tires pretty quickly there in Lubbock and that's a you know really impressive home environment when it's full. Uh so I think with all those sort of confluence of factors, uh that's a team that can be really dangerous. And then I guess you could I would I was also thinking TCU when you asked that, but they also were you know have been pretty good so i don't like and they're not dealing with the coaching change so i guess i don't really put them in the same group as texas tech um in that way yeah tcu is an interesting one for me just because the it's one of those teams that the the departures jump off the page before the any of the newcomers because guys you know guys like mike miles jr like uh damian ball eddie lampkin those are those are just names that we've associated for with TCU what it feels like for you know for for quite a while but you you start to break down the those newcomers and it's you know there there's a there there's quite a bit to be to be confident in whether it's Jimmy Nelson Jr another you know mid-major guy that's a walking bucket at the at the guard position and their their front court and kind of wing personnel this year I think is really intriguing because of they just have so much. They just have so much depth there. I'm, uh, I'm really intrigued by, by what can they can put on the floor this season too. Last thing before, uh, before, before we let you get out of here. Um, do you think that that Kansas is the only? Whether it's when we get to the tournament or later in the year, do you think that Kansas is the? is the team that that will be like right there in the national title conversation or could Houston could Baylor do you think that those teams have the, that kind of ceiling or or would you be a little bit surprised if if those teams are really really right there with Kansas as we as we get kind of pushing towards the tournament and people really starting to talk about okay who are who are the the teams on the short list of of national title contenders yeah you know i think no, I wouldn't be surprised if teams like that are right there with Kansas. I think, um, you know, Kansas could definitely be a team if they stay healthy. That's at the forefront of everything the whole season long just because of the talent they have, like we've mentioned and alluded to. I mean, they have a, a freshman who made the, you know, preseason top 20 for one of those, uh, whatever the small forward award is. I can't remember off the top of my head. But so Kansas has a lot of talent. I think if they stay healthy, stay healthy they'll be right there. But because these other teams might eventually have more depth than Kansas, just sheer numbers-wise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that could help them stay right there with Kansas and maybe keep Kansas from, you know, pulling away in the way that they might have otherwise if they had more depth numbers wise. So no, I wouldn't be surprised if those teams are right there with Kansas or if there are times this season when Kansas is a little behind them and then Kansas sort of gets it going again as things, you know, head up toward March. 
Jordan, appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast to to talk some Kansas hoops with us, some Big 12. Uh, good luck with, with all your coverage heading into this season. I appreciate the time. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Jordan, thank you so much for the time. We did it. We did it. That's 12 previews, conference-specific previews, getting you ready for the college basketball season. Uh, next week, we will have a couple of awards bold predictions type of pods to put a to put a stamp on the preview series and then we got games right now it's october 26th we got games in like 10 days i cannot wait uh november 6th it's the beginning of the college basketball season I cannot wait and uh we appreciate all of the support on youtube and on the pod uh in this preview series we hope you will stick around we have some new format stuff coming new format stuff coming more podcasts um and and even more digestible so i'll leave it at that and uh, we'll announce more about that in the, the next few days as we lead up to the beginning of the season but for now that's all i've got for you please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod subscribe to the youtube channel it's free and i would be very appreciative if you hit that red button Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. He's not Josh. He wasn't here, but he's still Josh. He'll be back. And we'll see you later.